Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us. Today, we're lucky to have in the studio Mr. Neil Burquist. Neil is uh, one of the founders and the CEO of a company called Coinme.com, or Coinme. Welcome to the show, Neil. Great. Thanks for having me. For sure. So tell us, for those of the audience who haven't heard of your company, tell us what your company does. Yes. Uh, Coinme is a blockchain financial services company. Uh, we first got started back in February 2014 uh, with the crazy idea of a Bitcoin ATM. It ended up becoming the first licensed Bitcoin ATM in the United States. And since then, we've evolved into running uh, software for the ATMs, wallets, um, online uh, purchase or e-commerce for crypto assets. Uh, and we also are offering financial services products such as uh, crypto IRA, 401ks. Uh, so you could buy Bitcoin and it's part of your retirement plan. <laughs> wow. So that's really interesting. So do we, I mean, is that something you're seeing a lot of people do, buy crypto in their, in their 401k or their self-directed IRA? I, I think a lot of people don't realize that they can do that. Uh, so we're seeing a lot more people uh, doing that and trying to find tax advantages, tax advantageous ways to be able to purchase crypto and hold it long term. Yeah, and this is actually one of these things. I mean, at first, <clears throat> at first thought, it might it might seem to not be sensible to buy through a like through a self-directed IRA or uh, 401k, but actually, it might make a lot of sense because. Every time you buy and sell a crypto asset, you have a tax event. Yeah. And if you're doing this through a, a vehicle like a 401k, well, then you actually don't. Right. And I'm sure for many of the listeners out there that who bought Bitcoin had a tax event, uh, given how, how much the ramp up has been over the last year. And uh, that tax day was yesterday. So uh, definitely, it's uh, there's a lot of interest to be able to buy um, through some kind of tax-deferred strategy. It's either... Uh, you do that or go live in Puerto Rico for half of the year. Uh, so you can kind of choose which option you prefer or, or just pay the, you know, capital gains tax on, uh, on, the, on your earnings, uh, which are, are, were probably pretty good. Yeah, this is one thing that kind of has got me, Mike. And I know, Mike, you, you, have, you have some crypto, but I don't know how actively you've traded it. But uh, gosh, why don't you start yeah. act- Go ahead, Mike. It's true. It's true. It's like... Um I, uh, yeah, mostly just hold on to it. I buy and I hold, which has been good. But, um, but yeah, I did have to sell some at one point. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of uh, creates this confusing tax situation where you're not quite sure how to report it or where it goes on the form. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's tricky. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Neil. You were going to. No, I mean, that's, that is, it is tricky, actually. Uh, um, if we had more time and capacity, I think that it, creating tax software for crypto investors or traders is a, definitely a good market to be in. There's a few of them out there, but they're just really expensive, uh, rightfully so. But I mean, it's a nightmare, uh, especially if you're day trading. Uh, it can be very difficult because a lot of exchanges don't have the reporting. But anyways, that's a, that's a tangent down one side of the tracks. Uh, but it's been really fun, frankly, uh, just being in this space and, and seeing being in an industry that is rapidly evolving and changing. I don't think I've ever been a part of something that is so fast growing yet still the wild west in many ways. Um, just the, the amount of market demand. I remember, uh, that when I was running surf incubator with Seton, the, the, 
that you always want to find a, a trend or a wave that is just enormous. Because even if you make mistakes on the execution of it, you have this huge tailwind uh, that will usually kind of save you your own kind of uh, mistakes as an entrepreneur. And I, I, I've never been a part of a tailwind this big before. And it's definitely helped propel our growth and enabled us to diversify our products and services and really be in a good position here four years later. Yeah, that's one thing that we heard. Uh, we had a guest on the show, uh, Andrew uh, Weinreich, remember, uh, Mike? And he was talking yeah, about this yeah. idea of like, hey, you, you know, if you're standing, if you have a business idea that's basically in front of what he called an inevitability, that's, the, that's a good place to stand because you'll have this, just what you described, this wave effect of like, hey, you've got, you've got your surfboard, this big wave coming in, you're going to go for a ride on this big wave. That's kind of one way to think about it. And then, but he phrased it also in this context of like, uh, <clears throat> hey, what's inevitable in this, in this world? And maybe, and I thought, and I've told people that I thought, hey, it's going to be inevitable that, I mean, sure, we're still going to have bank accounts and we're going to have cash and we're going to have checks and we're going to have credit cards just like we do now. But then I think we're also going to have this thing, this crypto wallet thing. And I think, I mean, I'd like your thoughts on this. I mean, you've spent more time thinking about the future about this probably than I have, but it seems to me at some point we're all going to have this other thing, this crypto wallet, and we're going to maybe buy and sell things with those assets just like we do with our credit cards. But I don't know, what, what do you think the future inevitably holds in this, in this regard? Yeah, I mean, people use money for different things, and so there's different uh, mediums of exchange or safe stores of value. Uh, and for seven billion people in the world, you know, th there's not one solution for everyone. And having uh, crypto as an alternative uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, makes a lot of sense in the world of e-commerce, where merchants are paying two to three percent to process credit cards. I mean, if those merchants take crypto like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, uh, those merchants are charged one percent. Uh, so that's pretty substantial uh, when you look at the amount of volume of e-commerce purchasing. Sending money uh, over remittances. Uh, you, you have companies like Western Union charging 8 to 12 percent, which is usually uh, hidden in the currency exchange. But you can send uh, cash through a one of our Bitcoin ATMs um, for less than half. Um, so, I mean, there's some pretty interesting use cases. Uh, but even just the, I don't know if you've ever purchased gold or a large amount of gold and just and stored it. It's, it's actually pretty cumbersome. Um, you have to pay storage fees. It's obviously very difficult to transport. You need to have uh, high security for you know storing that much physical gold. There's a lot of people that are just putting money into Bitcoin just because it's easier to store it, and they think it's a good place to park your money when you have the value of fiat currencies oftentimes going down in value. Um, Bitcoin, obviously, over the last year has gone up almost 7x, um, even with the correction. So, yeah, it's a pretty good place to park some value. Yeah. You hear a lot of people like uh, foreign investors buying houses and leaving them empty just as a place. They've got cash and they've got to put it someplace. They don't want it to all be in the bank. It seems like uh, even you know, similar to gold, like owning a bunch of empty houses all over the world or empty apartments in New York is not really a ideal way to hold, hold your, um, you know, store your money, store your assets. It uh, seems a little bit inefficient. Um, yeah. I was, uh, another thing you mentioned about Western Union. So this is like a few years back, the, the way that Bitcoin and, and the blockchain it will affect like remittances seemed pretty obvious to me, like inevitable, like what, what, what Joe was talking about. Like it seems inevitable that people will ultimately, once the 
you know, once these things become a bit more user friendly, the people in other countries that are paying these huge percentages to move money between countries and send money to their families um, will eventually, you know, be able to use a Bitcoin or something like it to be able to send the money for less expensively. And the fact that like the way Western Union works, I think uh, like a little corner store buys like a franchise or pays Western Union to be part of their network. And then they can send and receive money using the Western Union platform. Seems like with Bitcoin, anybody could potentially set up a, a Western Union type of a situation where they could, you know, they could tap into the network without getting permission from anyone. They can just buy and sell the, the currency. Um, and so it seemed like it would really cripple Western Union's business at some point um, or take away all the margins. And so several years ago, I was thinking we, I should sell Western Union short. This company's got a limited limited uh, lifespan and but here it is like probably three years after I was thinking that would happen and I'm looking at their stock chart right now it's it's like it hasn't moved it's if anything it's gone up a bit so yeah I don't know what maybe these things just take a lot longer than you'd think yeah I, I would say so um, you know just from the beginning this is this the, not only do you have this disruptive technology but integrating or building the infrastructure that can leverage that technology is one thing but then bringing it to market and getting customers comfortable with it especially if you look at the customer base uh, of western union it's it's really a lot of working immigrants and mm -hmm. a lot of these individuals uh, are, are kind of 20 30 years behind in terms of fintech uh, you know, they, they know Western Union, they use Western Union, and they know the brand, and it's easy, and uh, maybe English is a second language, and they just get in the habit of going in and giving them cash or uh, a paycheck and having them send it. Um, so, I mean, obviously changing consumer habits and behaviors takes time. Um, but I think what's going to happen sooner rather than later is that all these financial services companies are going to start leveraging the blockchain in some way, shape, or form. Uh, the first thing that they're going to do is just leverage it internally, where the customer doesn't even know that their money is on the blockchain, um, but the company uh, creates a private blockchain to move those assets around just because it's more efficient and cheaper and doesn't require as much of an operational uh, presence or infrastructure that they may have had in the past. I mean, you can seriously reduce a lot of headcount by having an efficient uh, private blockchain move assets around. So that will happen first, and consumers may or may not know that that is happening on the back end, but it will decrease the costs uh, for the financial services company, which obviously is a good thing. Um, but then... How do, when someone does a private blockchain how do they do they have to replicate it in a bunch of different places like i mean how do you get the redundancy and the uh, and the network effect when it's your own thing do you, do you know what i mean like do, do they yeah. tend to well it's a centralized blockchain in a bunch of so it's a single single blockchain or, or is it i guess it depends on how they set it up right yeah, so you, it, these are private blockchains or centralized blockchains, so you don't have the whole decentralization value that you have with these crypto, most of the crypto assets that exist out there. Um, so essentially, you put money into, let's, let's just say you put money into a, a Western Union teller, that money would be recreated on, or at least posted on Western Union's uh, blockchain internally, and then um, where the recipient wants to then withdraw funds wherever that may be in the world they can go and, and withdraw that money and and then the the actual asset would move on western union's private blockchain from one node to another node in the different part of the world but since it's built on the internet it can just move at the speed of light and it's very efficiently and cheaply uh, and so this basically you're creating a public ledger uh, for western union but it's only public to western union and it's just a more efficient way for them to move money around 
It's yeah. probably more auditable, right? Like it's it's less likely that somebody could go into the database and tweak a number because it would break the the chain, yep. right? Like so so it's it's a bit Security more Security is uh, great. Secure secure. Yep. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, you could uh I mean I what I was thinking would happen was that you'd get these uh yeah, you get these non-public blockchains, but they'd be like permission-based blockchains and you'd probably get multiple different you know, financial institutions who um who have permission to access the database so for example you know why you know a, a bank bank doesn't a bank ought to it seems like banks ought to combine together to 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 maintain collectively like permission-based blockchains so that they they don't have to uh, maintain a ledger by themselves um, at least you know that seems like one possible variant on this I yeah I mean you Companies like Ripple are doing interbank transfers through the Ripple network, and that's their blockchain, uh, which they've done really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ripple's been a big one. Mike, have you bought any Ripple? <laughs> no, no, no Ripple. Yeah, but I've watched it. It's uh, it seems to have done well. Yeah, I, it's funny. I I uh, I'm probably like a lot of other people. I go through phases, like sort of like phases of the moon or something, where I'll be really enthused about crypto for a little while, and I'll buy a bunch, or I'll spend a lot of time thinking about it, and then I'll get distracted or something, and then I'll you know not think about it for six months or something. I I don't know. That probably doesn't happen to you, Neil, since you work on blockchain issues every day, right? <laughs> You're probably yeah. I mean, there's always there's always something new. There's always it's like watching uh, Trump's presidency. There's always a headline, you know, that uh, is interesting. Um, there, it's constantly changing, uh, which is definitely really exciting. It's it's just really fascinating to watch the market too. I mean, like Bitcoin will drop. Uh, let's say it, you know, it drops from 800 to 700 or something, and and everyone freaks out and talks about a correction and things. Whereas and it's just, just kind of weird to see the public sentiment around it when year over year it's up seven times. You know, I mean that's a phenomenal uh, appreciation of value. Um, but you know, you, you see these headlines talking about how you know it's 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 over, uh, which it, it's just it, I've seen this happen obviously multiple times over the last four years. There's every time it goes down, everyone says it's over, and so there's some there's some pretty funny visuals going around showing the price correcting, and everyone's saying, "Oh, it's over! Oh, it's over!" And I think that part of that is just the kind of fear of a new technology, and then also I think part of that is related to people not understanding it completely. Um, it's it's there are a lot of people who speculate on just price of crypto assets. They see the price of Ripple and they're like, oh wow, that's pretty cheap. I'm going to buy a ton of that. Yeah. Um, but they don't realize how Ripple works and how it's not actually supposed to go up in price. And you know, there's <laughs> there's there's things that uh, a lot of people just aren't aware of. But there's just a lot of people who speculate, and that kind of just tilts the market one direction. Yeah, it's funny. I think I think um, I mean theoretically, these are all. Uh, I mean, like for example, Ripple. You know, it's a so-called utility token, not a security, right? It's, and the reason why it's a utility token is because it has some functionality that you're supposed to be able to access and utilize. But you're right. I mean, the speculators don't have any idea when they buy these tokens. They pair <laughs> all these tokens apparently have some functionality, right? Yeah. Uh, but I, there's always the stories where you know they made a ten thousand percent return on some other token. I mean, but you know, it's even. It's even more uh, risky than angel investing. I mean, it's it's you you got to spread your your funds across a lot if you're if you're trying to be a professional token investor. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's. I mean, I think uh, one a couple of things. One is I think at some level you uh, all of us individually kind of make a mistake if we don't expose some of our 
investable assets to this asset class. I mean, this is, should be, I mean, not a, 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 I mean, it depends on obviously how much money you're worth, but I mean, it seems to make sense to plug some money into this class because gosh, you know, who knows, right? I mean, like I bought a, you know, a whole bunch of different crypto alto, alt tokens just for fun, just throw some yeah. money around. Uh, it's probably not bad. It's probably a good idea because if you miss the exposure, you're going to miss some upside from that from that asset class. Absolutely. Um, although you know, just like everything else, you sh should diversify in life, and you should have multiple different you know types of investments going along. Um, one thing that's going on that's interesting is like the maybe so maybe the so-called traditional um, uh, financial services companies are now allowing you to buy crypto through there, like Robinhood. I, Robinhood's a new company, obviously not maybe I just fall in the traditional camp, but you know started with no no fee stock trades, right? Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and now it allows you to buy Bitcoin, at least in certain states. Yep. So do you see companies uh, like yours uh, or other crypto companies? evolving back towards allowing people to buy? Like, am I going to be able to go near an ATM and just drop some money in and buy some warehouse or stock? Is that going to be something that... <laughs> <laughs> well, so there's the trend, the mega trend is the tokenization of everything, where if there's a real world asset, it could be on the blockchain and, 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 and a lot of times should be on the blockchain. So because you have this tokenization of everything, you have entrepreneurs that are basically saying, hey, let's, here's a building, let's take 20% of the equity of that building, tokenize that, and then sell those assets on the blockchain to people around the world so everyone can own a piece of the Space Needle. Like, how cool is that? And then the Space Needle loves it because it's a quick way for them to diversify ownership but also raise uh, some serious amount of money. And then by being able to make the Space Needle ownership globally accessible, you might be able to drive up the price of the Space Needle because of the amount of demand of people that want to own a piece of the icon. You know, that may happen. I don't know. I've, uh, but the point is that in that situation, you're dealing with a securities token, um, which is, you know, obviously needs to be regulated as a securities. But you also have people that are tokenizing um, other assets that are maybe more like commodities that are just more like a digital asset. And so, well, then that's the CFTC should be regulating it as a commodities because it's not a securities. Well, then you have tokens that are more like money. You know, they're, they're fungible, divisible, transferable, um, you know, hopefully not volatile. Uh, and, and so they really pass the money test. Well, then maybe that should be regulated by the Treasury. So the, I think one of the challenges from the regulator's perspective is you have these different tokens acting as in different ways, but everyone says they're all the same because they're all, they're, they're all tokens. Um, well, not all tokens are created equal, and that's the takeaway. You know, you need to really go through an analysis to understand how does this token behave, and then how should it be regulated. And currently, the the government has not provided, at least in the United States, has not provided that uh, direction to help entrepreneurs really understand what uh, their what what their what bucket their token falls into. And that's obviously why there's a bunch of lawyers who are good at helping out with these types of questions. So entrepreneurs don't uh, get themselves into trouble uh, thinking it's one thing when it's not. Yeah, let's circle back and talk about the uh, the Bitcoin ATMs and how they work. Like, so tell us about that business. Did, was it, what was it like rolling that out? And, uh, and who are, are your customers folks that buy the ATM and stick it in their store? Or do you run the ATMs? And like, how does that how does that business look? 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, essentially when we got started, we really didn't know how it was going to look at all. It was really just an experiment with some risky assumptions. Um, you know, is anyone going to use it? You know, is the regulatory environment going to stick? Um, what's our cost basis going to be on this? You know, it's new technology. Uh, what's the failure rate? Uh, but, you know, we've been able to work through all of those things over the last four years. And really customers are able to, to go to a machine. Uh, they scan their ID and we do a quick uh, KYC check, make sure they're not a terrorist, uh, take a picture of their face, match face to ID, and then they can uh, transact. Uh, so really what it is, is it's, it's kind of like a, uh, a branch, so to speak, where you're able to instantly um, process uh, an exchange, uh, which is hugely valuable because if you want to, as a first-time customer, buy, uh, let's say, Bitcoin as an example online, you have to go through a verification process, which can take days. And then you often have to link your bank account, which could take another day. And then by that time, the price of whatever you were trying to purchase has just completely changed on you. At our machines, it's actually instant. So that's a huge value proposition is that customers can instantly buy uh, Bitcoin or sell Bitcoin. Uh, when you have this kind of volatility in the market, uh, customers like instant. Uh, you know, customers want to be able to buy things online and have it delivered same day, right? Well, if the price of that commodity is changing on a minute-by-minute -minute basis, they even more want to have it instantly. So that's a big value proposition for the machines. There's also $31 trillion of cash in circulation around the world uh, that I think people don't fully recognize. So the fact that, you know, you can't put cash into a mobile phone or a laptop. So having a kiosk is really a great portal to convert uh, these physical world assets and onto the blockchain. And uh, so they've really become uh, physical exchanges in that capacity as well. And then obviously in the remittance market, the majority of the money that is sent overseas is cash. Uh, so a lot of the digital solutions aren't always the, the best options. Um, so it's been really fascinating just being in the space. And we, we, we while I, I understand that ATMs are kind of a 1980s thing. Um, these are really more like crypto exchange kiosks where people can instantly exchange cryptocurrencies. Um, people just call them ATMs because that's what they understand right, right. and that's so what they know. when you built this thing, I mean, were you able to leverage existing technology? I mean, I can't imagine it would be easy to build a machine that can accept cash and scan credit cards. Are there... Was there existing hardware that you could buy and, and then write your own operating system for? Or how did how did that work? Like, that, what, take us through the process. Like, because yep. it seems like the going from idea, let's make a Bitcoin ATM to actually executing on that. It seems like there's a there's a lot of work that must have gone into that. Yeah, definitely. And big kudos to the engineering team. My co-founder, Michael Smyers, has been, you know, banging his head against the wall, so to speak, for the last several years, uh, solving a lot of those technical challenges. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're using MEI, you know, bill validators, Fujitsu cash dispensers uses the same hardware that are used in bank ATMs. Um, you know, it still accepts dollars just like other machines. Um, and so a lot of this, this is off-the-shelf hardware, and then you work with the manufacturer on putting it together and, and manufacturing the casing for it and the vault and all of those other special aspects to it. So a lot of that's pretty standard uh, for just financial teller machines. Uh, but then writing the software, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that gets a little bit more challenging because when people put money into it, then do we, then do we, do we pull from existing liquidity pools or do we buy the crypto asset from someone else and then 
sell it to the customer and then the markup and then and then what's our spread on this or is there no spread and we just buy low sell high you know there's a lot of uh, different kind of decisions on the back end but from the customer's experience since we are the wallet and the ATM they they buy bitcoin and it and it feels like they're just making kind of a a deposit into their coin me account so to speak because they can open up their phone coin me wallet and see their bitcoin balance there after putting cash into the machine so it's a really slick user experience uh, which we think is really important for in terms of making uh, bringing crypto mainstream i mean you got to make it easy the the reality is, is a lot of people forget passwords and uh, when they're holding a private key and they lose that you know it's game over so but if they lose their coin me password and would to access their wallet we're able to go through a verification process and restore those funds for them so just making it safer and easier uh, is is a really key value proposition of coinme uh, and and we found that there is a huge we think the mass market um, is really waking up and and it feels much more comfortable uh, buying and selling and storing uh, digital assets through coinme uh, a lot of people feel like they need to be a computer scientist in order to buy it because they're just afraid of being hacked and private keys public keys hash rates gas what does this all mean uh, we make it very easy for them and and so it's been really an honor to be able to 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 serve the customers that we've served uh, and and see them benefit so yeah, much from like that a, service. Sounds like a great service. When I bought um, my my first uh, bunch of Bitcoin, I uh, I bought it. This was years and years ago. And in order to buy it, I, I had to take cash out of my bank, walk over to another bank, put the money in like an envelope and deposit it in, into a, a random account that was run by one of these exchanges. And the only way that they knew that it was my money was because I had to deposit like the exact right amount of money with the right number, n- the right number of cents at the end. So it might be like, you know, uh, however much money in plus 23 cents. And then they would match the 23 cents up with, with whatever I put into the website. And then I had to wait for like, I don't know, it might've been like 12 hours for the thing to show up in the account. And, and during that 12 hours, there was always a very high likelihood that the money might just never show up. Like it was, it was a very, uh, it was a hairy kind of <laughs> yeah. uh, a situation like where it was just kind of, um, but it all worked out fortunately, but like, it was definitely not something that like most people aren't willing to do that. Like it just wouldn't be uh, it's just too risky. It's oh like, yeah. It's, Absolutely. Just, just deposit this money into a random bank account uh, with no recourse. If it, if the money disappears, it's, it's a risk most people wouldn't want to take. Absolutely. I mean, there. I mean, it's so common is people go to local bitcoins, find someone that owns Bitcoin, and then just give them yeah. cash in a coffee shop, and then they give them a USB stick or transfer the coins to their laptop. I mean, it's it's it was the wild west, and um, I think where that where you see some of those kinds of transactions now. I mean, we're 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 a licensed exchange, right? So we have a very strong KYC ML program, and we we you know we take a lot of pride in that because there are bad actors out there and it's important to, there's a reason why these laws exist. Uh, you know, if you look back at the BSA Act and the U.S. Patriot Act, I mean, there's reasons for them. Um, so we're, we're, we're proud to support uh, the KYC ML program. Uh, with that said, I mean, there's there's a lot of actors out there um, that will, will, will try to launder money and 
we'll try to use this as a, an opportunity for them to either do a scam or fraud. And uh, unfortunately, it's it's really kind of uh, put a bad mark on on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency for kind of the mass population because they don't really understand it. And then they read a negative headline and then they just create an overall negative feeling towards it, uh, which, you know, we have to then kind of fight through to, to help people understand it and, and really kind of correct that perception. Um, but, you know, where there's, where there's opportunities for, for scamming and fraudsters, it, you get a lot of interesting characters who show up and try to participate and uh, make money. And that's, that's what you're seeing now in the ICO market. There, there have been a lot of frauds and scams, a lot of fake token sales where it's, hey, send your Bitcoin or Ethereum to this address. And it's fake people on the website and everything and money comes in and nothing happens and people disappear. And, you know, that's a big issue. Yeah, I think the ease with which it's uh, possible to put up a, you know, an address and say, send us your Ether, your Bitcoin, and then we'll send you our token. And the ease with which that can be done is pretty... Pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, and then, uh, which for better or worse, right? Um, you know, like you could be a nonprofit and put a QR code up on it on the screen, and people could literally just take a picture of that and send money to it. I mean, it's pretty funny. You you see people on like you know at the Today Show and be in the background with a big poster with a QR code saying, <laughs> "Hey, send ETH here," you know. Uh, and so people can watching could literally just send the money. Um, there's a few funny examples of that. So, yeah, it can be used for good or it can be used for malicious purposes. Yeah, I think purposes. there's some work to be done there. Like, definitely, um, occasionally I'll talk about crypto with somebody um, and their initial reaction was, oh, yeah, I don't, morally, I don't want to own any crypto. I don't want to contribute to illegal activity. I don't want to, I don't believe there should be this this dark market where people can uh, buy and sell illegal things and, and human trafficking. And it gets really scary and, and you start to say, wait a second, this is not... I don't think I don't think by owning crypto you're facilitating any of those things. It's just kind of like, um, uh, you know, crypto is just another type of uh, type of money that can be used. Cash you could say you could make the same argument for cash in a briefcase that you shouldn't hold cash because people bad bad guys use cash. It's um, but it's tricky. There's definitely a, something exactly. to overcome there because um, some people feel pretty strongly about it as as kind of like a, a something that people shouldn't touch. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why it's important to work with companies like ours, uh, the companies that are licensed and compliant and really have the consumer's interest in heart. Um, you know, there's always going to be bad actors in every industry. So it's important to work with the ones that have really taken the time and effort to set themselves apart. And that was really our value proposition uh, to, this, to the regulators at the very beginning was, look, there's, there's, there's going to be malicious activity in this space. Like, let's work together, define the regulatory environment, and let's be able to bring this mainstream and, and protect the consumer. And they said, absolutely. We, we see the value in the technology. This is something that is a, a game changer. So let's work together to figure out how we can bring it to market in a, in a smart way. And uh, so I, I do give a lot of credit uh, to some regulators who take the time to understand it and really learn it and see how we can protect the consumer, but not prevent them uh, from being able to harness the power of blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know, if, if, if you were to look back on states that have really blocked their consumers from being able to participate in the cryptocurrency revolution, there there is truly a, 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 a bottom line economic negative impact uh, in terms of blocking those consumers. So it's not a question of let's just eliminate it, let's figure out how we can bring it to market and allow our, our customers to interact with it on an everyday basis in a safe way, uh, not only for their own protection, but also for the economic opportunities that it presents. 
Yeah, that's terrific. Thanks for thanks for taking the time to, to come visit with us and uh, and share what you're working on. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So if people want to try out one of the one of your machines, uh, how, what's the yeah. easiest way for them to find the machines? Like, is there a way to on your phone? Yeah, definitely. If you go to Google Maps and type in Bitcoin ATM, you'll find it. You know, there's one at Westlake Center, South Center Mall, up in Linwood, Kirkland. Uh, they're around the Puget Sound area. But if you go to coinme.com, uh, we have about 60 machines across the country. So uh, you might be able to find one near you. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's wonderful. All right. Well, fun times, Neil. Thanks so much for being on the show to talk to, talk to us about this. And we'll look forward to uh, watching you guys uh, blow this thing out. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, fun times. Fantastic. Great. Well, and thanks, everybody else, for listening. We'll see you all next week.